This episode is brought to you by Ticker. Ticker Ticker.com is focused on bringing institutional-level investment research to you, the individual investor. Ticker.com is powered by S&P Global Capital IQ and has coverage of over 50,000 stocks globally with financial data, estimates, valuation metrics, ownership percentages, transcript filings, news, and more. ValueHive listeners can join Ticker's free beta trial today at ticker.com forward slash hive. That's T-I-K-R dot com forward slash hive. Right, Mads Christensen. I know it's about, what, 8 p.m. your time. It's two in the afternoon for me. I'm super pumped to talk to you about all things gaming, esports, and just that whole thematic that we're uh, at MacRops really, really excited to dive into. But before we before we get into that, this is really our first time to talk in person, uh, or not in person, but over Zoom. So who who is Mads Christensen and what do you do for a living? Yeah, hi, Brandon, and thanks for having me. I'm really pumped for this as uh, well. Looking forward to it. So uh, I'm a general physician. I'm a medical doctor, and uh, I do that half-time. And uh, then, then I allocate full-time to my investments. Um, I do a little bit of uh, corporate consulting and uh, do some lectures. And then I'm on a Danish uh, uh, podcast, uh, a daily podcast about investment, and I do the, the tech side of it. And then I have my Twitter life, which uh, is a, a big part of my life. <laughs> That's awesome. So how did you get started in investing? And then specifically, since most of this conversation is going to be about the gaming and this digital transformation industry, how did you naturally find yourself diving into that space? Yeah, so I, I was, um, I've, I've been a poker player. Uh, and, um, and, and, and bef- before I had more time for my investments, I, um, I, I really wanted to be passive. Because um, I learned from poker that that um, that when you play a game, you really need to be one of one of the persons that has an edge at the table. Uh, that's the best way of winning in poker, and and I took that with me in my investment strategy. So before I really had time to to dive deeper into something, I was just long term and and passive investing in in, in a diversified portfolio. Um, and then when I got more time uh, for my investments, I, I naturally started with the iGaming industry uh, because I knew the companies from my poker, uh, poker play as a consumer. And, um, and there was a hub in Sweden for uh, iGaming. Um, so I was investing there and, and Sweden is also a hub for gaming. So uh, eventually I started um, getting some interest into the gaming space and, and, and started having some of my portfolio there. Um, then it was back in, I think, 2018 or 19. There was a lot of fuss about regulation uh, in Europe, in the iGaming space, in, in, uh, in Great Britain and Sweden and, and also Holland. And, um, and, and I had a conversation uh, one day with a Swedish guy from a hedge fund and and he told me a lot about the politics and and what was going on and what the implications would be for the gaming industry at that point the i gaming industry and i just realized that that i was really one of the fish uh, playing that game the i gaming game um investment game so so i i really just quit uh, the i gaming and and i i dived into the gaming industry and had uh, all of my, my investments in the gaming industry. I, I found it easier because it, it, 
it just had these uh, secular trends behind it. Uh, so you didn't really have to do much else but just have your investments allocated there sort of broadly uh, in the gaming industry to to hit some some good trends and then it was quite easy to to uh, quietly learn more about the space and the companies and and start investing in, in specific companies sort of um, betting a little bit more specific uh, towards different companies all right so this is a great time to think about you know the whole specialization versus generalization that most of this conversation, like we said, is going to gear towards specifics and niche industries. And I'm going to frame this with the famous value investor, Bruce Greenwald, where he says the best way to invest is really to specialize is to be a, is to be this person that knows one industry and knows it better than everybody else, which is what you alluded to earlier. What are your thoughts on this topic? Do you think investors need to specialize kind of like what you said, where to avoid being the patsy at the poker table, you just have to focus on one or two industries. Um, if you, if you think that that's true, why do you think so? And if not, maybe elaborate a little bit more on why, on why that's not the case. Yeah, so it's it's my thesis that you need to specialize um, because that gives you the opportunities to sort of make a small game where you actually have an edge. So it can be sort of like uh, diving into the gaming industry or it could be any other industry or it could be a, a specific set of stocks. It could also be that you're a technical analyst and, and you really know how to trade this special flag formation or something. but but when you're when you're just one investor or or a small group of investors you cannot really have an edge over the entire market um, so you need to you need to find your game and it's the same about poker you could if if you're up against a really skillful guy you 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 don't want to play deep stack with him you could you could just play short stack if if you know that game well or you should stay away um yeah, so so I think it's it's essential to um, to get more than what you could have just by by being broadly in the market and being right. passive. That's the way to to avoid um, betting against the other people at the um, at the stock market uh, poker table. Is to just um, just be diversified and and long term invested. Then then you don't make any bets and and you're not going to lose. But once you once you start making bets you need to have a, a thesis that you're better than than the others right and, um and that's really the hard thing to know if you're better or not um mm -hmm. one thing i learned from poker was that you really need a lot of uh, samples to decide whether you're you're a better uh, or worse um player than the guys you're you're playing at and I don't think in a lifetime an, an average investor will ever be able to statistically test if, if he's better or worse than, than the market. So it's an intellectual process where you'll have to, um, you'll have to evaluate um, your theses and, um, and the things you, you go by. And it's, it's really difficult. You need to focus on it because your brain will always um, make easy conclusions for you, uh, let you celebrate your wins and 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 forget your losses quickly so um yeah so it's it's something you need to um to focus on yeah and so in that in that vein i guess how do you start to specialize so let's kind of use and maybe maybe we can you know use this in turn with 
how you devoted your energy into gaming. So how did you start to specialize? What did that process look like? Was it just looking through a bunch of company filings or watching a bunch of investor presentations? How do you develop that specialization skill? And so for me, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's always been a game. I want to win. Um, so, um, so for me, it's been um, trying to find a place where I could, I could have a, a larger outcome than, than sort of the general uh, diversified passive uh, investment game. And, um, and, and when, I, when I sort of got into gaming, I, I felt that, that there was a space where I could actually have a better outcome than the general market. Um, so that's, that's why it caught me. Um, I think that, that um, many people think that you should just interest uh, in, in what, you, what you find interesting uh, beforehand. That's kind of, kind of the advice many gifts and, and right. the intuitive answer to a question. But, but I, I think it's the other way around, actually, that, that when you get good at something and when you start sort of winning at something, being successful at, at something, it's eventually going to be fun for you. So I think it's, um, and I think many upstarts are that way. Uh, but when people think back, they or think about it, they think, wow, this is really interesting. But, but actually it's because they, they saw a hole in the market or a, a niche that they could exploit or something. And, and they went for that. And then when they got experts, it, it got funny. Yeah. So for me, uh, gaming was a, a, a a, a safe place place to start just to be broadly invested and then mm -hmm. then i had a success with a, a swedish mobile games company called t5 entertainment and um um i i started uh, i started following the data um crossing data and download data on it um you could you could find them on sensor tower or app, or app any um for free and and i've found out that that gave me an edge at that point. Not many people mm -hmm. were actually aware that you had that, that, that opportunity. I started buying data myself um, by AirNow uh, data. Hmm. Um, you could also buy them from Airbnb or Sensor Tower or Yibit data. Um, and, and that gave me an edge um, in, in, that, in that space. And I, I started looking for mobile games companies where I could see that, that they were faring better than than the market uh, expected uh so that was really where it caught, caught me and, and i felt i had an opportunity so you're having success in gaming you're having success in this niche that you found that you like and now it's almost that feedback loop where you love it you're interested you're starting to see results which makes you love it even more you know the cycle repeats did you ever stray from this specialization because i know for instance as a as a value investor and as you know someone that started as a traditional value you know price to book low price to earnings i sometimes get caught in this web of oh look at this stock it's super cheap it's got it's trading five times pe and that and that that sort of uh temptation pulls me in that direction and it's outside of where i want to specialize did you ever have any instances like that early on in your career where you, you know, maybe looked at a name that wasn't in your zone and maybe you, you know, paid the price for it in terms of return. Do you have any story like that? Yeah. Lots of times I, I suffer from severe FOMO. So um, every time I see a sector or something take off and I've always read a tweet about it, somebody, somebody saying that this was where you ought to be. So um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's really hard to, to stay away from, but, um yeah i i think 
Um, I think I've learned that the hard way that it's, it's not a good strategy. I always end up in a tough spot, a spot yeah. that, that where I don't know what, what I'm going to do. Um, so the, there are no free runs. I, I play a lot of bridge as well. And, and I, I think that actually helps me a little bit because bridge is, is really a game where, you, where you, you lose a lot when you make mistakes. It's about getting everything done right and, and doing the, the right thing which has the best probability in all situations and and you usually get punished when you do something else um so and i, I think that applies to to investing as well you, you could you could hit some really good stocks but if you make a couple of mistakes uh, in a year and 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 lose some there then 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 that really hurts your outcome yeah. so um so so i think there are not opportunities they're really just uh bets where you're not having an edge. Hmm. Uh, so you're probably losing on them in the long run. Got it. And speaking of bets and this, you know, whole poker theme, I do kind of want to wrap this introduction uh, in a bow around poker before we dive into gaming and esports and the two companies that we would like to focus on. My first ever podcast, which is actually, I know the first ever one is on, like, if you look at my podcast app or something, it's Richard Howe is what it shows. But my first actual ever podcast for Matt Garops was a, um, a professional poker player. And we talked about his transition from professional poker into his world, which is more trading style, um, more swing trading type stuff. So not necessarily investing, but you get the idea. Um, I want to talk about these themes and these characteristics between poker and investing. And specifically, I want to discuss the idea of drawdowns in bankroll and hot streaks and what it's like to go on tilt. And for those that don't know what going on tilt means, if you could talk about those things. So how does poker and those terms translate into how you invest your current portfolio? Um, if, I, I really like to start in other place. Uh, the thing I, I learned I, I took with me from poker that I, I think I really value the most um, is, is thinking in ranges. Hmm. Um, I, um, I, um, it's this thing that when you play a hand in a poker, you, you really, you really don't know what the other guy has. So, so you'll, you'll, assert, you'll um, allocate him with some ranges that that he might have he might have this type of hand this type of hand this type of hand and you go through it you make some scenarios about it um with uh, different outcomes and and you put a probability on it and and and, and 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 an outcome and then then you decide how you want to do it and i i think that's something that that people could really use in stock investment if, if you look at a stock that many people knows about mercado libra um then, then you could you could make some ranges, some possible outcomes. There is a super uh, bearish uh, scenario where uh, Argentina goes bankrupt and um, Shopee wins in Brazil and uh, Amazon wins in in Mexico. Uh, so that would really cripple them. It's very unlikely. Then there is a, a super bullish scenario where where they become the Amazon of uh, of Latin America, and um, and and really it expands into something like Alibaba, where where they are the the digital infrastructure of of everything going on down there, and that's extremely bullish, and and sort of the not so extreme bullish, but just really bullish scenarios, they're actually quite likely. 
they, they might be something like 20 or 30 percent. It's, it's hard to see them not, not, not getting a win in Latin America or most of Latin America. So what people usually do is they, they, they sort of think about what's the most likely outcome. And we sort of put our anchor there. And, and the most likely outcome is perhaps, I don't know, 30, 40 percent growth uh, over the next years. But there is actually maybe a 20, 30% chance that, that Mercado Libre is going to grow 70% over the next five or, or even long, five years or even longer. Right. And, and, and that actually feels like a call option on Mercado Libre. But, but if you don't think in ranges, you end up thinking on sort of the average outcome mm. and, and putting a value to that. Yeah. And it also goes the other way when, when, you, when you're wrong about a stock. So if I invest in Mercado Libre and, and all these things go wrong, then it's, it's not because I did the wrong decision. It was just because I hit one of, one of the, the, the ranges that was bad for me. Um, so so, um, so it, it makes it a little bit easier to, to evaluate your victories because sometimes yeah. your victories are just because you're lucky. And yeah. really, um, and sometimes your 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 the the bad investments are just because you're unlucky, because yeah. you you were facing ranges when when you started. Yeah. So um, yeah. Well, that's it's. I mean, it's. I love I love this idea of thinking in ranges because it it also loosens up your valuation burden, where a lot of investors sometimes are so hell bent on finding you know, Mercado Libre, I don't even know what the price is right now, but let's just say, you know, Mercado Libre is worth $182.64, exactly. And then you just put this very finite valuation on it where you might not know if you're wrong because the range of outcomes that you've given it is, is this cone that's this small. Where in reality, like you said, it's really this wide cone where it could be one thing, it could be one thing, it, it could be another thing. Um, and I just, I, just, I just think that's important, especially when you look out to gaming, which is an industry where you know, we don't really know that long tail benefit. We've seen some of it with COVID come, you know, coming and kind of pulling forward those, those returns and that growth, but we still don't know what the long tail of it is. But I just, I just think that's a great point to reiterate, to, to, to reiterate is this idea of ranges and the idea of allocating them. Because then when it comes to allocating your portfolio, let's say, you know, this la last question before we dive into the esports mm -hmm. stuff, but when it comes to evaluating and allocating to your portfolio, when it, when you think about the ranges, how then does that affect your portfolio allocation decisions? Like if it's a 2% bet, if it's a 10% bet kind of thing. Yeah, I, I really like when, when, I, when I have a stock where, where it feels kind of safe, but there is this really good bet uh, that something could go right. Like, like the situation I, I illustrated in Mercado Libre. Um, I, I think then, then I really, I really push, uh, push the, uh, the metal to the bottom of the car or I, I, yeah. I press the speeder. <laughs> uh, so, um, because, uh, I, I, I've learned from poker that, that these are the situations that you should really be willing to take a risk. Um, but you should, you should, you should not go bankrupt on it, but, but I think you should be willing to, to see when you have a high. Um, a bet that gives you high odds for a high outcome and then then do it yep i love it i love it so now let's take that and let's dive right into a high conviction theme that you and i both share is is, is gaming and esports and so let's just kind of do a broad umbrella view right now 
at the gaming landscape, when you look out over the next five to 10 years, and I know this is a loaded question, so we can, you know, we, we've obviously got time to break this down, but when you look out over the next five to 10 years, what areas look like no brainers to you in terms of this is just, this is just a great idea or this, or this space or this technology, this is just a no brainer. Yeah, um, I, the, 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 the entire industry uh, looks like a no-brainer to me. Um, it's been said a lot of times, but, but we, have, uh, we have growth in the middle class in the world. We have uh, growth of, uh, of average age uh, of each gamer is, is growing, so their buying power is growing. And then we have uh, new platforms. Uh, coming out getting cheaper uh, the last big platform we have was the the mobile phone and and maybe it's um i, I i'm not sure we're getting any sort of new platforms uh, coming after this at, at least for a while that's that's going to make it cheaper and and easy accessible for middle class worldwide to to play games that was really mobile phone that did it but i i think there'll be some new I, I don't know if format is, is the right word, but uh, I think that um, I think we'll be we'll be seeing increased engagement uh, with gaming from, for instance, games where you don't need to have your full attention uh, on the game, like audio is for um, today. Um, so you could you could play whilst you do something else. Um, right, right. We see that coming in. We see gamification of of e-commerce and and many other things, but. But um, yeah, so, so what's really driving the growth in, in gaming is, is the amount of engagement there is in the gaming space. Um, when that grows, then, then the value of, of gaming will grow eventually and, and there'll be a lot of ways to, uh, to make that grow. Um, so so um, yeah, and the, um, I really think the engagement uh, is, is sort of the, 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 the real thing to look for in gaming. Um, I okay. heard Strauss Selnick uh, say this a couple of times during uh, take two earnings calls when uh, that was at the time that people were discussing loot boxes a lot. And, and he, was, he was asked three times in a row, I think, uh, how do you think about loot boxes? How are you gonna earn money? <laughs> and he said the same thing. Uh, Every time he said that, well, if, if we increase engagement in, in the games, then we're eventually going to monetize it, it somehow. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's, just, uh, that's just key. That's, uh, that's the essential thing. Um, I, I think that, that the monetization uh, is, um, uh, we're, we're moving away from, uh, from premium. Um, we're moving into freemium and, and, and free, yeah, free to play. And, and, and I, um, almost like that Fortnite model where it's, yeah. you know, so many downloads and then you just got those in-app purchases. Yeah, that, that's the way it is. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's like the, the way it is with digital products, um, they, they are eventually falling in, in, in cost price, in premium price. We, we've just heard that they're going to increase uh, the, the price for a AAA game to $70. But, wow. Uh, but that, that's, that's, just, um, that's just $10 more than it was maybe five, 10 years ago. So it, the prices are not increasing but engagement is increasing. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that we're going to see monetization of, of 
engagement and attention uh, further down the road in in various other ways i think that's that's where the real value from uh, gaming is is going to um to 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 come now when you think about a gaming investment it doesn't have to be a specific company we're still dealing in generalities here what are some challenges that you think investors face when trying to analyze these companies are they are they looking at the wrong metrics are they you know are they are they not look like let's say they may not be looking at engagement and they're only looking at top line revenue and they're seeing it stall because traditionally the the gaming industry's known for the boom bust cycle so you've got you know ea sports madden nfl does really well you see a uptick in revenue, game falls down, you see a downtick. We're starting to see the democratization of that, the boom bust cycle. But what are some other areas where you think investors looking at the gaming industry are missing the mark when evaluating a company? Yeah, I think stock picking is extremely hard in gaming because when you when you stock pick, you you want you're trying to predict whether the market is uh, is uh, predicting the right um, the right uh, revenue um, uh, flows for for the next year or two. So, and when it comes to gaming, you're actually trying to predict uh, the engagement levels for 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 the the games of an individual stocks over the next years. And I think it's extremely hard for a private investor or a small investor to have an edge here. Um, a lot of these data are actually accessible. It's, it's called the alternative data. You can buy them. I buy them via AirNow data, but you can buy them via Yibit data or you can get these reports. So big investors will have better reports, better data and be able to predict how the individual games are faring uh, in a better way. Mm-hmm. And, and there's another problem that, that many of these games are not uh, sort of disclosed publicly um, be- before they are released or at least on, until we're close, close up to release. There was a great example with, uh, with EA games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a poor res- earnings results, uh, 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 I think, two years ago, and the stock tanked 6-7%. And the day after they launched this uh, huge game, Apex Legends, and the stock went right back up. And, and I'm just thinking how many people would know that, that there is a big game coming out from, from uh, EA and it's coming out the day after. So right. when you don't have that information accessible, you, you really would be, a, you would be one of the, the, the less uh, equipped uh, investors to predict how the games would be faring. So I, I think stock picking is uh, difficult uh, inside game, in gaming in general. Now, with those challenges, obviously some investors are going to allocate capital to these suboptimal parts of the gaming industry. And I know you and I aren't as big on sports teams and these, and these e-gaming teams um, just because of, you know, the unit economics don't really make sense if you, if you want to invest in like a sports franchise or something like an esports franchise, talk to us about that and why, why that's not necessarily the best way to invest in the gaming space. And then are there any other areas that you're not as excited about that maybe investors should not pay attention to? Yeah. So um, I think uh, esports has a, has a really great future. Um, If you measure the engagement there, it's, it's just uh, rising rapidly and it makes sense. 
it's it's fun for for players to engage with their game in in another way to see good players play and funny players play and see good players play against each other it's just like we know it from from ordinary sports mm -hmm. so i think e game esport is is in a good spot um but i think that i think that it's hard to find good investments in in esports uh, there's been said a lot about it i, I I, I think about esports as um, as something that's going on on a on a platform on a digital platform, and that digital platform is a game. So if we take uh, League of Legends, then the, the game over on a Riot Games, they're going to be very happy for the esports that's going on in League of Legends because it increases engagement uh, with their game, and they can monetize it that in in what so many ways. Uh, but if we look at the, the 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 user groups on this platform, they would be the consumers, and they would be the players, the distributors, and the teams. And when when you run a platform, digital platform business, you want every user group to be happy. And it makes sense to me that the consumers are happy because they get a lot of um, they get a lot of free entertainment. Mm -hmm. It makes sense to me that the distributors are happy because they get um, they get a lot of um, of, of good entertainment that they can monetize via ads. Um, the players, they get good salaries, so they should be happy as well. But, um, but it, it's hard for team owners to monetize uh, really well. So, um, so, uh, so I think they should be unhappy. Um, I think that, that if it was any other digital platform, the, the game owner would need to pay them actually to, to run a team uh, on right. their platform to, to drive this engagement, to keep them happy. Yeah. So my conclusion is either I don't see the long-term potential of, of being a team owner or there is too much demand for, for owning a team right now. And, and I, 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 I'm sus suspecting that it's the last. I think it's, it's sort of trendy to have an esports team uh, something which people like, uh, they yeah. get a lot of attention or, or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I think it's just like buying a, you know, major league baseball team or something like that, where I, gosh, I forget the name. I think it was Steve Cohen, who's a famous billionaire investor. He just bought the New York Mets. So there is this status symbol, but you know, the difference is the publishers own everything on the e-gaming side where as other professional sports it's a bit different there's a bit more leverage on the team side um let's now shift to a couple deep dives and a couple of your portfolio favorites um c limited uh ticker se that's got to be one of the most popular stocks in all of fintwit um and then another one is i think it's gravity g-r-v-y which is another super popular stock. And that, I, I think that thing has like actually been a, what, five, five bagger or something. It's, 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 it's something crazy, just like in the last five years. So let's start with C-Limited. Walk us through that investment thesis. How did you find it? And then how did you start thinking about valuation and then the future and what the company could look like in the next five years? Yeah, so C-Limited is, uh, is a Singapore-based uh, company um, listed in, in New York. Um, I found it back in 2017, um, and, and it was because they had the uh, one of their pillars is uh, Garena, which is a gaming and esports company. And Garena was the leading uh, esports provider and the leading publisher in, in Southeast Asia. 
So um, for me at that time, it was a no brainer to buy a position in, in that company um, because of the development that, that Southeast Asia was uh, going through. And, um, and, I, and, 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 and the other pillars were uh, a digital financial platform, uh, e-wallets for, for the region and, um, and, and an e-commerce uh, platform called Shopee. And Shopee was uh, growing a lot and they were investing a lot in it. Um, some investor called it Casper at that time. Um, so I, I started out trying to figure out what, what Shopee was really all about and, and trying to understand it. And that was actually sort of my path into uh, digital transformation, yeah, digital transformation, digital platforms, uh, marketplaces to to get to understanding them and um, and 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 find finding me having an edge. I think in that space, I've been yeah. discussing with a lot of people about Shopee, and uh, I've heard this argument that that. Uh, Alibaba would just um, burn tons of cash via Lazada and would would drive them down. But but it was not. There was something else about Shopee, and and I think the thing that that people missed is that that it was that was a there was a lot of engagement in Shopee. Hmm. Uh, I, I I looked at the app like a gaming app, and and it made sense. There was huge traction around the app, and what I've learned is that. They have this thing they call shoppertainment, which is um, which is shopping just made fun. Mm -hmm. um, people log on to that app a lot of um, four times a day, and and they play games. Uh, um, uh, shopping is becoming social, mm -hmm. um, so it's it's um, it's a marketplace. It's um, it's it's not Shopee selling to customers, but it's. Um, they're, they're providing the infrastructure for sellers to reach um, customers. Hmm. We, we, you probably know it from eBay, um, yeah. but the, the best comparison is actually Taobao, uh, the part of Alibaba that, that is, um, that is a, a third uh, 3P marketplace. Um, so, and, and there are a lot of platform dynamics uh, going on there, which is, uh, which is making it so strong that, that, that it is. Um, yeah. So, so then how do you, how do you think about valuation when this company is like, when you, when you first stumbled upon it and you're seeing all these dynamics, you're seeing Shopee, you're seeing the growth, you're seeing the user um, engagement, user retention, how, how does that translate into numbers then? Yeah, that's that's an extremely good question. So, uh, so, so let let me just say um, the the biggest uh, problem here is that when you have a platform which is sort of maybe the third biggest in the market, mm -hmm. uh, the value creation there for the user groups are not is not very big. Um, if you put on a shop on that platform, you need to go to one or two other platforms in order to to reach all the customers right but if if you have a platform which is um, dominant like shopee is in taiwan and i think it's getting there in indonesia then then sellers only need to be on one platform they can put all their efforts in in doing that very very well so that creates a lot of value for them and the the, the buyers they only need to go to one place to to find all the um to get the, the entire selection there is out there and furthermore, when it's social, 
then you get to be where your friends are uh, and, and, and go shopping with your friends only on the internet, just like a shopping mall. So mm. when it gets uh, dominating, the, um, the value it creates for user groups is much higher. And that means that, that the larger you get, the more, um, the, the better your, your EBITDA um, yep. percentage gets. It's a linear um, progression there. So when trying to, you can't just put a GMV uh, ratio uh, on it uh, and, and enterprise value uh, over GMV. You mm -hmm. can't do that because it's different whether you have a dominant platform or you have a, a, um, a, a platform that's number three or something in the markets. Right. So um, already there you're in, you're in problems. So what, what I did was I used the SOP, some of the parts met, method Okay. And, um, and, and just compared to what Lazada was uh, sold, sold to, at, at which uh, EV, GMV ratio it was sold to, and, and sort of compared that in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, yeah, I, I think that's probably uh, still the best way, because uh, given that, that you don't create much value uh, when you're not dominant, you don't start to monetize until you get dominant and that's where the cash burn things come in and you really yeah. just have to invest in keeping everybody happy on a platform until you create enough value to to start monetizing it and um so the revenue will always uh, trail uh dominance uh by in time hmm. so they've only just started monetizing uh Shopee, um sort of gradually uh, they monetize it quite uh, substantially in Taiwan because they have a win there. Um, they're they're the the dominant um, um, e-commerce e platform for apparel and um, and and beauty uh, in in Taiwan. So they can they can monetize that. And they just uh, announced now that that they're uh, increasing the um, the tax of super sellers in uh, Indonesia. And, and I think that's probably the most bullish news out of um, Shopee this year uh, because that, that implicates that they seem to feel that, that they are getting close to a win. Right, right. So then that said, which, I mean, that's a fantastic explanation. Is there, is there any price that you're not willing to pay for, for C? Because I'm only asking as, as a plebe that did not buy in to see when I probably should have. And I also missed a chance to buy in when it had a nice pullback. I've missed C completely. So from an outsider looking in, is there any, you know, is there any space where you, like, let's say you were trying to get back in or let's say you were trying to add to your position. Is there, is there, is there a price you wouldn't uh, buy that, you know, like maybe 10, 15, 20 times sales or, you know, some, some sort of equivalent metric. Yeah. If, if you go back to the, the ranges thinking, yeah, and, and you think the the uh, you think that that they are getting a win in Indonesia. Some say that Indonesia is going to be the fourth biggest economy worldwide in in two thousand and thirty. Wow! So if uh, if they get to be be winner there, and they're pro they're probably winning in yeah they 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 seem like they're winning in in most of Southeast Asia, then. Um, then it's hard to find a price where you're not willing to, to get in. <laughs> That's so a good point. It's actually more about psychology. Uh, where is the market at right now? 
but if if you flip it around and then 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 make the the thought that Facebook wanted to buy it, and they went to the management and and asked what 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 do you want to sell this stock for, and the management are looking into a win, which uh, I I say I I've I've uh, said on Twitter that I that I think it would be two thousand two thousand dollars a stock in in two thousand and thirty. Wow. So, um, so, so if if you have kind of some still of the thoughts there, yeah, <laughs> if you have the thoughts there, it's it's hard to say what what the price really should be. It, it's all about the modes yeah. and and the risks of a a less bearish, uh, less bullish scenario uh, hitting in. Got it. So it. It's yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. That's 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 perfect. I mean, obviously, nothing on this podcast is like a recommendation or anything like that. But you know, it's no. just it's just you know nice to know that. For someone like myself, I may have not missed the boat. I mean, it's also one of those stocks too, where like it's it the 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 long term drivers are, are are there. Where even if you allocate like one percent and you just do a little bit of work and you just say, you know what, I'm just going to have this one percent of my portfolio um, be in be in you know C right now. If it comes down, I'll just keep nibbling. But that's that's I guess kind of how I'm thinking about it. It's like maybe I just take a really small percentage, put it in there now, and wait, and then if it drops, add more. Um, now let's shift to gravity, GRVY, which is another one uh, that you've hit out of the ballpark. Talk to us about that thesis. Let's just kind of do the same thing, run it through. How did you find it? How did you start thinking about you know the value proposition there, and then how you turn those narratives into numbers? Then that story, that engagement into evaluation. Yes. So gravity was uh, also back in 2017, and uh, that was uh, that was via my air now data that I I discovered this company in uh, uh, this Korean company that that was uh, having a game that was number one in Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Macau, and it was just hovering on on the first crossing place in in these three countries for months. Right, and uh, I looked into it, and and I learned that they were going to publish this game called Eternal Love in the rest of uh, Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. um, and the valuation was uh, was rather low, so it was kind of a no-brainer uh, about that. I was very nervous about it because I thought that there got to be there got to be a, a, a something wrong. There, there, there right. had to be something hair in the soup or something. Yeah. I think the one that there is is that it's it, it's uh, it's uh, owned by um, uh, Gongho Entertainment, a Japanese company. Okay. Uh, and and they own the majority, so it was kind of funny that they just didn't buy it when it seemed so cheap. And and yeah. I still I'm still puzzled about that, but uh, that's just how it is. Um, I've learned to feel comfortably about it um, eventually. Yeah. Um, and then what you need to know about Gravity is that it's not, it's not by nature a gaming company. They don't produce hmm. games. That's not their main thing. Their main thing is that they are an IP holder. Uh, they have the rights for the Ragnarok uh, IP until 2033. Oh, wow. And um, so, so they, they have this IP and they license it out to uh, other games companies that are producing games uh, right. on it. And we have numbers of um, games producers producing games, and sort of the last big one uh, is uh, Tencent that that has produced a game that's been launched in South Korea now, 
uh, and it's, it seems like a, a, a really successful uh, launch. It's uh, around five, six uh, on the top crossing charts there. So um, it's, uh, it's a success now. And um, we, it, it, it comes on a very small company that's, um, that's been trading at, at ridiculous um, uh, valuations. Uh, so when they, if they hit a big game, it's really going to, to move the, um, the numbers a lot. And, and we're seeing that. So now, now it's gone up from, I think it was in $23 uh, during COVID crisis. Now it's around $130. And yeah. um, I almost want to look at the stock chart real quick. So keep going. I'm just going to pull up the stock chart. Yeah. So it's it's really um, now at this share price, if you use the Q2 numbers, which is before we have the revenue streams from the 10 cent game, they're trading at an EV EBIT of uh, 8.6 and a PE level of, wow. of 12. And um, so it's it's really cheap uh, still. So and even after uh, that they, major they, run there's up, another big, yeah, wow, exactly. Okay. That's crazy. I didn't yeah, expect that. They, they were trading at an EV EBIT of 2.7 uh, last year, uh, wow. based on Q3 numbers. Um, so that's why you just think there got to be something wrong yeah. uh, with it. Um, so they have a big game now coming out um from from the, the eternal love producer a chinese company um called next generation uh, and uh, so they have two big games now coming out but the real value that i see in this is that they have the rights to the ip so when when this and that many people are engaging with this ip for hours and hours uh, all these people are going to to get affinity for this world, this IP, uh, and they're going to be willing to, to want to engage with this IP for years to come. Mm -hmm. It's like when, when my oldest son, when, when he's going out with, on a weekend tour with his classmates in, in 10 years, yeah. they're going to be playing uh, FIFA, FIFA or Call of Duty or something because that's what yeah. they did. So it, it sticks with us the more we engage with it. And, and that's really the, the, the real value. Yeah. And now just going from, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the gravity chart now. So from September of 2018, uh, you know, around this time, September 2018, it was trading at $17. So at that point, it's, you know, it's up almost 600%. It reached in the March low, it reached all the way back down to, uh, $21, $22, basically. So it's up almost 500% just since the March low, which is, I mean, that's, that's just mind boggling. It's just, it's just mind boggling. So kudos, kudos yeah. to you on one that of, one. <laughs> one of these, thanks. One of the specialists on, um, on, on gravity, that's, uh, that's, there are some Swedish guys that are really digging into it. And he made this tweet, I think it was um, half a year ago. He said, gravity is a very boring stock, stock in its trading range between 25 and, and $90. Uh, <laughs> I just thought it was good humor. That is funny. All right. So now take us through those. So, so, so those are two great examples then. I want to now focus on how you view total portfolio construction. Cause one of the things that we're going to link to in the show notes is your YouTube channel and you do a really good job analyzing your own portfolio and just kind of breaking down 
what's in your portfolio and why it's in there and how you decide to allocate stuff like that. So I don't know if it's your most recent one, but it's the most recent one that I watched from, you know, at this point, maybe a couple of weeks ago, a month ago. And it was about um, just kind of your portfolio construction. Now you're heavily weighted in, you know, C, Gravity and this other company, Good Food. And, but, you know, it's, 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 it's very much a barbell distribution. So you've got these three big holdings at the top and then trickle down, you've got much smaller positions. And my, my, my question is two part then. The first one is, you know, how did you, how did you come to this uh, idea of a portfolio construction? And then two, is this, is this something that you've played around with for a while? Um, have you always held, you know, a, a decent amount of names or, 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 or is this, you know, something that you've evolved over time in terms of how you like to hold your portfolio? Yeah, I, 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 uh, it's it's grown. It's sort of evolved into this uh, over time. I started out with the classic sort of you have to have a very diversified portfolio, but I also feel that that when you when you when you get to know a company really well, and and get to sort of uh, know have the likelihood of the um, of the various um, scenarios, um, you can start allocate more. Uh, into these positions, uh, if if you have a, a good knowledge and if you feel that that the risk reward is is really good, yeah. So uh, that's kind of how it's evolved. Uh, and over the, the the last two years, I've had Gravity and C Limited as my uh, by far two biggest positions. Um, and. Um, yeah, and, and then I like to buy smaller positions sort of in companies. I, I, can't, uh, I can't muster myself to read about a stock if, if I don't have a position. Yeah. So, um, so I just uh, I take positions and, uh, and build them if, if I like. Uh, but, um, but I really, the, the, the stocks that I think are the best bets, I would, I would really um, push on them. Um, yeah. Got it. Now let's kind of look, um, we're kind of, we're kind of wrapping up here and then, um, I want to, I want to finish the discussion just about this idea of customer attention and relation. We've talked a lot about user engagement, but if we, if we go back to almost like a first principles, the way you get engagement is by first capturing that customer's attention or that gamer's attention. Um, so with, let's go back to C limited as our, as our framework here. Um, why should investors kind of use this idea of customer attention as a mental model when analyzing these, these, these investments going forward? Is it, is it just we as humans are now so ADD where it's almost imperative that you have some sort of mechanism to just capture their attention and, 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 and keep it there in a world that's totally online, or is it something maybe a little bit deeper than that? I think it's, it's the entire economy that, that's changing um, all the the companies that that we've seen grow over over in in, in over the last many years uh, grow big is um, is oftentimes because they um, they reduce a lot of friction at a certain point in the value chain or it's because they control um, a, a bottleneck in the value chain and that's been something that that you could monetize a lot and um, and when you look at, at the value chain, then then what a, a platform like Alibaba is really doing is it, it's reducing friction. Mm -hmm. That's the that's their product. That's what they do, and that's what they monetize. 
So, um, so they, they optimize the entire value chain with uh, data and um, yeah, logistics and, and stuff. So I think that, that we're entering sort of a period where, where the, the middle points in, uh, in the value chain are not so attractive uh, for investors. And, and I really think one should uh, look for that and, and be careful about that. Um, I think a good example is um, uh, consumer packet goods. Uh, okay. which uh, are really uh, built on and sort of uh, controlling um, a physical restraint user attention, physical restraint by, by TV hours, by, by the lin linearity of, of TV that, that if you can control Saturday night uh, commercials, then, then you'd be able to sort of uh, control what the consumers could see. So that was the advantage of, of mass distribution they had the power to, to be on the right shelves in the supermarket. Um, so I think that, that it's, um, their advantage is, is sort of going away due to um, digital transformation. Um, so I think that's one way to, to look for it. I, I think, um, then I think, um, I think the only place that, the only physical risk Strain on in in the um, in the in the uh, value chain that would be our our attention. We only have 16 wake hours, and um, and 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 you'll have to get uh, the consumer's attention there. Yeah. So um, and and then when you get it, you'll have to know what what to show him, which product to show him or her, yeah. uh, and what way to show them. And and what you do that by is by data. So, uh, and that's customer relation. Uh, the benefit of that is that you get to collect data um, yeah. so that you'll know what to do with it. So I think these are the two things that, that are going to increase in value, uh, be increasingly what you need to get your products to the customer mm -hmm. uh, in the future. Got it. Awesome. I've had such a good conversation so far. I've learned, I've learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I um, so I think uh, the companies that I think you should look for, or or sort of the way to yep. uh, the way to evaluate um, the, the customer attention um, is is primarily apps that um, that get used a lot. I think that's the most uh, valuable um, um, part of the attention. If, if you have a player uh, playing a game for hours, that's not really going to, to make you smarter about him. But if you have an app that's being uh, logged on to four times a day, you sort of, um, you get to learn a lot. You get to know about the first uh, word, they, the first thing they look for. You get to know when they log into the app, where they are. And, um, and then when they exit, you get some data points that are valuable as well. To, you get to know what they bought or did they not buy anything? Uh, so, so what happened? So I think there is, uh, I think that, that frequency is something to look for in, um, in, in the apps or um, the, the, the things you want to invest in because that would enable people to, to uh, get a lot of data points. Um, and the so companies there, that, that yeah, I was just about yeah. to say, are there, are there, are there any specific companies then just like companies that either you're interested in or businesses that you're looking at for potential larger investments? Yeah. So I, I think that, that, um, if, if you look to China, 
then then you have uh, then you have uh, three types of uh, platforms that that people engage with very frequently. You have Alibaba, which is e-commerce, and you have Tencent, which is uh, gaming and social media, and then you have Meituan Dianping, which is uh, uh, food delivery uh, and um, and and and. And online groceries in the same basket, I think, as as food delivery. So, um, so I think that that the uh, the um, food delivery and last kilometer space is really interesting, because it's it's going to be apps that we are going to open very frequently right. um, to to get what we need, and um, and I think that's going that's going to evolve in the West as as well, uh, and and they're really going to get some some really good data um, that that they can leverage. We see Meituan and Dianping um, starting to move into uh, being a competitor to Sea Trip, which is hotels and travels, and right. and they sim- they are able to do this because they have an app that people use very frequently, uh, whereas Sea Trip is something that. When you're going on a hotel, you might not have used it for, for, for some months, and 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 you've seen that Meituan and Dianping has this button you can press and you can so so the the frequency I think is very very important uh, going forward. I like it. I like it. And uh, sorry to sorry to cut you off there. Was, you actually just kind of uh, read read my mind with that with that last question uh, before before we get into the closing questions. Um, now, is there actually before before we do dive into the closing questions, is there anything that we didn't cover that maybe you wanted to touch on just a little bit more before we before we wrap up? Yeah, I could I could uh, add something to see, which I think is uh, is an, an important thing. Yeah, do it. Um, that that they see limited. They yeah. have uh, three digital platforms that are that are working together. So in digital platforms, you have these feedback loops, which are which are typically either going the right way or the wrong way. So everything goes fast, but but it's very fun when it when it goes the right way. And in C Limited, they have three digital platforms, which all seems to win. They have the gaming, they have the e-commerce, and they have the digital financial services. And they're going to be working together. So that's really, that's really going to help them. And I think an interesting thing about C Limited is that I, I talked about this thing about gaming, um, gaming being uh, making uh, engagement and, and making you able to um, to uh, grab the user's attention, yeah, uh, and the way to monetize that is is perhaps only Tencent and C Limited that are really able to do right now out there, because they have they have the the things to sell uh, once you have the attention, so they mm. have the ability to um, to to um, forward the players onto their other platforms um, as well. I think that's one of the reasons Amazon is very keen to to move into the gaming space as well. Hmm. How, how how is Amazon moving into the gaming space? Can you give us an example of that? Um, they they've uh, they've been working uh, on games development uh, for quite some time, uh, hmm. and and uh, they have a free to play game um, brewing uh, on the Lord of the Rings franchise. Oh wow! I did not uh, know which that. is sort of an, an open world uh, game that that they want to 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 use 
Wow. And then um, Amazon and uh, Amazon is, is also having a platform for um, for mobile games downloads, um, which uh, which they're trying to to get traction. Obviously, to to get get people to use their platform to attract gamers to their platform. Mm -hmm. We see that uh, we see that um, some of the mobile developers uh, out of uh, China is trying to do the same thing, make their own entertainment yep. platforms to compete with uh, Google and uh, and uh, with with Google Play Store and um, an App Store for for the attention and, and the customer relation. I think it's a big battle out there about attention and customer relation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a huge battle, but like you said, that's the battle that if you're looking in the space and you're looking at companies to invest in, that's the battle that you want your company to win. You want your company to yeah. win on engagement and you want your company to win on customer attention. And if they can do those two things well and grow those over time, then the investment takes care of itself. So that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's awesome. Cause I think that's really just the, just the two biggest things to look for in this space is, are they acquiring users? Are they grabbing their attention? And then are they keeping that attention? And then are they engaging yeah. at a high level? And if you can answer yes to all of those, then I think you've got room to really dive deeper. Um, so Mads, thank you. Thank you so much. And let's, let's just kind of dip right into the last questions that I ask everybody. Um, the first one is where can people go to find out more about you? I know I mentioned your YouTube channel. You're also on Twitter. Is there anywhere else people can reach you? No, that's that's the uh, that's the two places that 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 I have. I have uh, my YouTube channel called the Gaming and Esport Investor. It's it should be called the Gaming and um, Digital Transformation uh, Investor, but but that's how it is. And then uh, yeah, my Twitter handle is uh, at Mats C Nice. And is that 007 any relation to James Bond? <laughs> yeah, I was I was making a Google uh, account and and I had to put numbers behind my name, so I thought, well, that would be natural. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so then last question, maybe maybe this leads right into the last question. But if you could have dinner with anybody from the past or the present, who would it be and why? Yeah, it it, it it's a it's a funny question, and and I think the answer now that we have Twitter is it would be uh, uh, is something else. It's it's quite easy to pick uh, people's brains when when you're on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I chose uh, Dennis Hong. Um, yeah. He's um, the um, he's the, the founder and and CEO of Shorespring Partners. Yep. I, 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 I think he's a very likable guy, both on Twitter and, and uh, when you listen to interviews with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really like his uh, investment thinking and, and strategy. We share some of the same investments. So, yeah, um, so I, I, yeah that, was, that was my choice. I was sort of considering people who I would like to sit and lure uh, to see, to to get to see who they really were. That would be Mark Zuckerberg and, and Donald Trump. Yeah. But um, yeah. <laughs> two, two very polarizing figures. No, I mean, I, I listened to Dennis Hong's um, interview with on, 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 on value doc and the guys, the guys that did that phenomenal. It's actually one that I'm scheduled to listen to again, um, just to, just to kind of reiterate that, but I'm hoping to get Dennis on the show. Actually, I'm hoping to get him on the podcast. So when I do, I'll let you know, and then you can kind of, shoot me, shoot me some questions that you have for him. Um, yeah, and I'll be listening for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is awesome. So Mads, thanks again so much. I mean, I know it's getting, uh, 
almost uh, what 10 p.m over there where you are so i appreciate you staying up and uh, i look forward to speaking with you again yeah it was great fun